If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. This is Nicole Van Tassel from Eisler Science, and I am here solo today. Well, kind of solo. I'm here with Sarah from Happy Teacher Heart, and we're going to be talking about taking risks with the NGSS. So with that in mind, thank you for tuning in. And Sarah, thank you for coming on to our podcast and sharing with us some of what I first ran into um, from a blog post of yours about this idea of, you know, the NGSS is risky and how we can just dive right in and, and all of that. So I'm excited to talk to you. Um, before we get started and, you know, into all the content stuff, can you introduce, you know, introduce yourself a little bit, tell us a little bit about your experience, um, where you're from, what you teach, how you got here, all of that. Okay, great. I'm so excited to be on your podcast. Um, so I, uh, I live in Long Beach, California. Um, I love it. That's and awesome. I've been teaching for about 14 years now. I started at a charter school in Los Angeles, um, and you know, I just fell in love with teaching science. Um, my first exposure to teaching was actually when I taught English in Thailand, oh my gosh. really back in the day in 2005, um, and it was just, I just realized how much I love teaching. I love being in front of people. I love public speaking because I'm a weirdo. Um, oh my gosh. And so it just, it just really, um, I just fell into teaching and I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. Okay. Wow. So how long were you in Okay. So first of all, it's funny because I, being in front of people is my least favorite part of teaching. <laughs> like being in front of students was the worst part of teaching. And when I tried doing it that way, I was a horrible teacher. And then when I did other things, I was much better. But, um, so that's, that's so funny. Everybody's so different and everybody has their own styles. I love that. Um, but how long were you in Thailand for? Uh, for like about three months. It really wasn't okay. a ton of time that I was like totally immersed. I was in a mostly Thai area. I was the only, they call a uh, foreigner's farong. I was the only farong there and I would ride the bus and I had to order my pad Thai in oh Thai. God, so yummy. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. Okay. And then you came back here and decided to teach here. Kind of like yeah. as a result of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I finished my degree and I um, landed as an intern teacher at okay. a uh, public charter school. Okay. And that's where I did my internship and I liked it. And so I stayed. Okay. Awesome. And then what, um, 
your background is high school or science and biology. And did you teach other subjects prior to that? Uh, yeah. So I first or grades, I got even subject credential, and then um, I I really liked science, so I got the science credential. And um, kind of in my time at that charter school, I was also ended up as an instructional coach. Okay. And probably talk about this later, but um, yeah, and I I have taught physics, but I just feel like I have to do the disclaimer: conceptual physics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to pass on physics. <laughs> um, okay. So then what is, and this is just a me being curious question because I'm nosy, but like what's your favorite thing about teaching and what's your least favorite thing? You know, I think my favorite thing is when I see a student, because, you know, high schoolers, they're like ready to do stuff mm-hmm. with their lives. And I love when I can show them some kind of video or we have some kind of lesson and they're like, whoa. I, I need to tell people about this. I need to change something about the way I live. I want my family yeah. to know this. And that's just like, oh, it's so magical. And especially when they are passionate about the planet. And, yeah. You know, wanting to be responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, least favorite, totes, ca- like classroom management. The freaking worst. Hey, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I'm not great at it because I just like to have fun and talk and be funny. And I don't like to have to stand there with the, you know, the quiet, mad face. Yes. <laughs> and so that is my absolute least favorite. I understand that. Yeah, and, and classroom management can be like the, probably the most difficult too. It's like not really fun. Like relationships with students and everything are fun. But like the managing your classroom stuff is not always the fun stuff. It's the frustrating stuff and... Yeah, no, I gotcha. Um, so you mentioned high schoolers. I get excited, and I definitely think that's true, even of like like middle school students. Even myself, remember, I remember back in like middle school, I, you always wanted to do stuff that like really mattered. You know, the projects that actually like had an impact or made you feel important, like you're doing something. And most of the times, you weren't really doing anything important. But if it made you think you were doing something important, then you were so much more motivated. So I think that you know, from even just middle school on, like kids want to do stuff that matters and, and see that, yeah, the impact that they can have. And I think that aligns super well with NGSS too, um, yeah. with that authentic learning and all that. Um, okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience with the NGSS? Sure. Um, so I, like I said, I was an instructional coach at our um, charter school and uh, was we were tasked with rewriting our curriculum. And it was kind of the department head guy was really kind of right on the, the very front lines of wanting to um, start with NGSS. So I had to like learn how to look at the standards mm-hmm. and, you know, we worked as a team and that helped so much because I would think it meant something. And then one of the other colleagues would say, well, I don't know, what do you think about this? And so we wrote uh, performance tasks mm-hmm. uh, based on, um, argument-driven inquiry. Okay. Yeah. And so we kind of took our own, we didn't use ABI, but we modeled it sort of after that with a lot of writing, a lot of um, inquiry first. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. So we then field tested those performance tasks, uh, teaching, I was teaching a class still, and uh, then we would come back and revise them. And now they're out in the field being taught at our school. Nice. That's awesome. Um, okay. So then you 
like what what's the timeline here you wrote this blog post about taking risks with the ngss and i'm going to link to that in the show notes um and it's at your again your happyteacherheart.com blog so where where did this like post fall in to your ngss experience Yeah, so at this point, uh, I had this wild idea to leave the charter school and teach middle school in um, our, in the big district here, and um, I just wanted some different experience, so Mm -hmm. I applied, and oh, wow, I got a job at this really hard middle school, and um, Uh it was really new to me, but I was made the department head, (laughs) all of my knowledge about... uh, NGSS, but not classroom management. So um, I, yeah, so they made me department head and I was in charge of, you know, I had just come from this team of pioneers and mm-hmm. we were already, like I had been teaching NGSS. Yeah. Standards. I felt really comfortable there. And um, I was the head of these new teachers that were like, wait, what? And then I would go to these big department head meetings with all of the city's department heads. Mm-hmm. People's heads were popping off. They just <laughs> breaking their brains to think about NGSS. And I would sit there with these seasoned teachers, 20-year teachers, yeah. and they would literally just sit there. Like they were just completely at a loss of what to do. And the people running the meeting would say, throw out things like storylines and some of those like lingo words. Right. And would be like, but where's the textbook? <laughs> I want the textbook. But, well, when are you going to give us the lessons? You know? And yeah. That was where I realized that what was really, they were trying to present this one, two, three ABC version to these department heads. But mm-hmm. really, they weren't speaking about the spirit of NGSS. And what you could actually do with it. Yeah. It just, I wanted to just stand up in the middle of the room and say, just try something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and yeah. So that's where it kind of came from is this idea of, well, it's not going to happen unless you try. Mm-hmm. And if you try with the real true spirit of NGSS, you're probably not going to do it wrong. That yeah. was kind of my idea about it. Okay. Awesome. Yes. So, and you, as part of your post, you have like, what is the NGSS versus what is it not? So I really like that activity. And if you want to explain like what you did and then what your teachers came up with, because like just looking at some of the things they jotted down, it was very much like, this is the spirit of the NGSS. And that is a really important thing to like start there before you start looking at all the standards and getting into everything. The NGSS, it's not about different content. It's, it's literally about changing, like how you're teaching, how you're approaching teaching, and when you get caught up in all the details, you like miss that big point and, and you just, you're just lost. Like you're <laughs> exactly. Yes, I know. So I really love thinking maps. When I was teaching middle school, I was just like bubble map, tree map, you know, all <laughs> thinking maps. And so I thought, well, let's do a thinking map that is just what is NGSS and what is it not? And less, you know, the, the nitty gritty and those buzzwords, but like more like from your heart. Like, what is yeah. NGSS? So um, a lot of the things that we were able to put on the outside of that bubble map were it's not a recipe. It's mm-hmm. not a one, two, three. It's, um, you know, and, but what is it? Well, you know, it's students are thinking. It's future focused. Mm-hmm. It's preparing them for vocation. And, you know, I think that um, what that was did then is it kind of served as a guide for them 
when they were planning their lessons and when they were teaching, can you just gut check yourself? Is this yeah. lesson or activity in the spirit of NGSS? Is this making my kids think? I yeah, love that. Does it follow this template and does it have all these buzzwords that I don't actually understand, you yeah. know? I, no, I love that. You can just kind of think like, does this feel like NGSS? And if not, like what, what should I do to switch it up or what can I do to switch it up? Yes, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so I definitely think that like understanding how to teach with the NGSS is a process. I know like you said um, when you were doing your planning with your – you had – at the charter school, you had a bunch of people that were helping you guys re like read the standards and you would think one thing and another person would think another thing and you could talk about it. And I feel like even myself, when I read the standards, like one day, I'm like, oh, I think this is what it means. And then I might look at it two weeks later and I like look at it again and I'm like, wait. And I kind of like have this aha moment where I'm like, oh, wait, no, I understand. I missed this detail or I understand what they're aiming for a little bit better. So I think it's definitely like this process and it's going to be that way for everybody. Um, so what like resources or experiences have you had that have really like led to those kind of like aha moments or helped push your understanding forward? Yeah, great. I think that it was realizing that NGSS is not static, like you were saying. It's, it, and it's okay for me to be in one spot today and to be in another spot next time I teach that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, based on the new things that I learn or another thing I see or a new idea. And like, you know, like I feel like one of my favorite things to say is that as teachers, we're like curators of experiences and that it can change. So mm -hmm. maybe at that first time I'm trying this one thing, I, I do it one way, but then that, you know, the next time it's going to look different because it's going to be a different experience. And it's okay that every experience is not the same static experience. So I kind of felt like even if the first one wasn't the perfect one, they still had an experience. Yeah. They still interacted with content and they still asked questions. So great. It's not wrong then. Right. Know? So I love your description as a curator of experience because that is very much like what we should be doing at, like we're in, with NGSS lessons, you're not, telling the students the information you're not like spoon feeding it to them or giving it to them whether it's a textbook or a video or a lecture or anything like that you're creating the experience where they can puzzle it out from there or figure it out or ask the questions or come up with the ideas and because of that there is one group may take it one way and another group may kind of take it in a different way and you're just kind of figuring out where to go from there um, but I really like that curator of experiences. <laughs> That's a good description. If you're planning an experience that you can kind of have it in your kind of brain space that it might be slightly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Versus like, you know, I feel like when we plan a lesson, you know, like old school, like mm -hmm. lecture, you do, I do, we do, or whatever, it feels very um, controlled and predictable. We know what's going to happen. And so if you go into it, like I'm planning this experience for my students, mm -hmm. but for me, it, it's like, okay, it might not go exactly the way I'm thinking, but that's because it's an experience. And right. just like kind of embracing that little bit of discomfort, mm -hmm. you need to try more and go there more. So I'm going to throw out an extra question that I didn't mention to you, but how do like let's say a teacher does a creates this experience and it doesn't go the direction you planned but you still have like your objectives that you want students to get to so what how do you 
Like, what do you do in that kind of situation? Because that's definitely going to happen in an NGSS classroom. You're going to plan something. Students are either not going to make the connections or it's not going to go the way you plan or the, the data they collect is going to be wonky or whatever. Like, how do you keep things moving so that your students are still going to learn or still going to hit the targets that they, you know, need to hit? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the kind of that that experience curation. Then you're like, oh, I picked this piece and I really thought this was going to be everybody's thing. It was going to be the Mona Lisa of this thing, you know, yeah. and and it actually like totally wasn't. I've had that happen a million times where like sometimes I'm like, you guys just dumped all over this lesson I planned. <laughs> so yeah. Sit there shaking your head and you think about all the hours you spent. But I think what I do from that is that you, you just have to be willing to say, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that did not work. And then moving on and, and yeah, I just, I feel like you just have to be like, you know, as a teacher, you know, you, you've got 36 little faces looking at you, yeah. 36 brains and 36 experiences. And that's, it's just going to be everybody's experience. So I feel like I just say, okay, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have a new day. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you try something different to get the yeah. point across. Nice. Okay. Good. Um, okay. So what have been your challenges with like the NGSS is hard to get your brain wrapped around for everybody. And then it's hard to like actually teach with this new style of instruction because it's, I, I feel like for me, it was so different than the K through 12 science education I had. Um, yeah, it's, it's different. It like, and it's that element of discomfort. You're not completely in control of everything. Um, you want students to make the connections, but you're not telling them. So it's like a, this give and take of how do I get you there? Um, but so what have been like your challenges personally with implementing NGSS? I mean, I, yes, it is hard. And I think that the pioneers maybe have a certain, of NGSS, we have like a certain spirit about it. You know what I mean? Like when you're like a pioneer and the, they're going across the country and there's all this discomfort and you're living in a, like a covered wagon yeah. stuff. Like, but those kind of people are okay with the discomfort. Mm -hmm. So I think as hard as, as a leader who's okay with discomfort, how do I deal with these teachers that are like, no, just tell me when you set up everything and then I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, taking them on the ride with me. Uh, you know, I think I had to just, this is where it kind of comes with the being brave and like, it's kind of vulnerable to say, I'm making this, I'm do, teaching this lesson. Do you want to come and watch it? Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is what I'm thinking this is. NGSS standard is trying to teach. This is what I, you know, because I, there's a lot of, um, oh, is it right? Is it not right? Um, but yeah. Um, and then, you know, with now I'm in, in an online school and in online school, they, you know, we have a, a courseware that is already built. It's not NGSS. And mm -hmm. to do, I have to do more work and I have to convince my team to do more work to make to work with the courseware to make it engaging and inquiry and all the things that NGSS is. Mm -hmm. I, so. that would be really hard. Not that all of NGSS lessons, they don't all have to be like super hands-on or like, you know, doing experiments in the lab and you can do a lot, but at the same time, I can see that be a huge challenge with 
the conversations and the collaboration and all of that, like overcoming, because that, that's just such a big part of the NGSS. Mm -hmm. Yes, that would be challenging. <laughs> Um, what are some of the, so it can be challenging and especially, so you as a pioneer are comfortable with the discomfort and the, like the risks and all that, but then there's also a lot of teachers and just a lot of people in general, personality wise may not like risky kind of trying new things, but also teachers who've done, you know, they've taught these lessons and these topics and these, whatever their, their whole careers a certain way. And now, okay, now we're supposed to do it differently. Um, like why, should they? Why? What are the benefits? You know, I, I've seen a lot of people complain about the NGSS, but what makes it worth pursuing this new type of instruction? Or not even new, but this type of instruction? Yeah, I mean, you know, earlier I was saying how when you, you know, the NGSS is a little uncomfortable. And when you make like a traditional lesson, you know exactly how it's going to go and what order. And I would say that for me, it's really has been worth the surprise. Mm -hmm. I think that it's worth the surprise that the students, I cannot even think of a time when they did not surprise me with how they thought of way better questions than I did. They always go there. I can start out but just their ideas, their, mm -hmm. like when they a model or something, I would have been like, wow, that's totally not what I expected, but it totally yeah. worked. And, um, you know, I think also watching the students become citizens of the world through science, you know, because they're... I, NGSS teaches them to look at something in a totally different way, mm -hmm. them to, to wonder about things. And so how cool that these kids are walking around wondering about the world when before they would have just, you know, filled in the blanks about the world. Yes. Yeah? No, I love that. And I feel like as adults, so much of that it just gets harder. Like when I try to think of questions, I, I I think of a, a phenomenon I'm going to use to teach something and I'm trying to generate the questions and I get like three of them and then I get stuck. And I don't know if it's just like society has beaten the questions out of me or just something that happens as you get older, but you don't have that sense of wonder. You don't have that sense of why. My daughter is two or no, not, not two. She's older than two. My son is two. My daughter is um, almost four though. And she's so much in the why phase. Everything is why. And some of her questions, I'm like, that's not even a real question. Like, why is it a baby? I, just, I don't know. It's just a baby. But, um, but but the the fact that she has so many questions and I can't even think of like three questions for a really cool weird phenomenon. Um, so I think that's whether it's something that's just your age or if it is something that we went through our education without having to ask these questions. It's a skill that we like didn't develop. Um, I love that we can kind of help our students maybe keep that curiosity and those question that questioning nature longer. Yeah, exactly. How cool to be able to keep that longer. Yes, definitely. I, agree. I can never think of as many questions. No, they always they always come up with way better questions and just way more interesting and yeah. Um so how would you recommend getting if you're a teacher who is kind of nervous about the NGSS, using the lessons, using the standards, how would you recommend getting started with it? You know, I would say, I mean, they should find their NGSS people, you know, and read about it from somebody that's writing about it that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, once they feel like they're ready to try or maybe their administration forces them to try, <laughs> um, that they should just like literally just pick one like science engineering practice. 
like for example asking questions mm -hmm. and be like i'm gonna rock out this lesson just asking questions even if they're still using I feel like even if you're still using your worksheets how can you make a lesson around asking questions and then you know or your old powerpoint mm -hmm. fine use your old powerpoint and then how can you make this lesson all about wonder and all about asking questions yeah and as they get more comfortable with the practice of having students ask you questions that are not on the script yeah. you know, it's so scary because then you're like then you have all the student eyes looking at you like oh you're so smart answer the question yeah yeah, and being know. okay with modeling not knowing and being okay with, you know, listening to questions and being okay with the, the questions hanging in the air. That's yes. That's hard for me. Um, but as they get comfortable with that, then now as you're making a new lesson, how can you integrate asking questions into this standard? Can you start something else? Now can you work on argumentation? Now yeah. Can you, you know. I absolutely agree. I know when I'm starting like a new lesson or activity. When I'm thinking of like, I have my objectives and I'm thinking of how do I get my students to the objective? So I'm creating my activity or whatever it is that's going to get me there. Um, the first thing I always start with is like, what science and engineering practice could I use to help students get there? So maybe it is just having them get some questions and throw out some ideas, or maybe it's, maybe I can look at some data and I can figure this out from the data or whatever it is. But yeah, just adding in that, that science and engineering practice um, whether it's you think about this is my objective and this is the practice, I which practice do I need to get me there? Or like you said, I know I have to teach this. I like this science and engineering practice. How can I incorporate it in? Like whichever way you go, just starting with, with those practices. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. It's like a definitely an easy way to just ease into the NGSS. And again, the spirit of the NGSS. Maybe it's not all the phenomenon and the storylines and the bundled standards and all of that, but it's that spirit of NGSS style instruction. So exactly, I like yeah. that. Um, so what do NGSS lessons look like in your classroom? Well, I love me some YouTube. <laughs> um, it is, you know, I mean, it's so easy for me to, like I usually will end up starting there you okay. know, and then I can kind of build a lesson based on that. Okay. I um, made one recently about like ramen noodles. I saw this crazy YouTube video about a guy that was fixing a, a toilet with ramen noodles, like a chunk of porcelain he replaced with a, like a package of ramen noodles. And it shows this whole thing. And I, I was like, what? And I was thinking of asking questions. Is that real? How could you really do that? What did that, you know? Yeah. And so I started with that and made a whole asking questions lesson with the take home experiment where they're going to think, ask their own questions about ramen noodles at home. <laughs> you know, is the cooking time different in the microwave and in the, you know, like just, and that way it's, it's, um, it's really cheap. Yeah. <laughs> something that everybody can do. So, um, lots of YouTube, like I said, um, crazy. I love, of course, you know, I see, I think I wonder, mm -hmm. You'll see a ton of that in my PowerPoints because I just, I like to just show them pictures and because I'm really visual. Yeah. So it's really neat to, to get them in the practice of looking at something. You're forced to ask a question about it. You're forced to write mm -hmm. what you think about it, you know? And Yeah. And I think pictures can be such a, a quick and easy way to introduce phenomenon too, because you know, like the explosions and the demos and the labs and all of that, it can take a lot of time. It can take resources you don't have maybe. Um, 
sometimes you can just show a picture of some concept or something and, and it can do the exact same thing as if you had the cool explosion in your classroom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know that there is that one um, website with the phenomena and you just Google MGSS phenomena, you know. Yeah, there's, the, there's the, a few. There's like the wonder of science and then there's like hashtag project phenomena and then there's, I think, NGSS phenomena. Or like the yeah, three big ones I've seen. out there, um, but just finding the right spot for that. And like I said yes. with YouTube, finding the right spot for those videos and not just showing the video and then, you know, woohoo, that was cool. But like making yourself go further with that. Mm -hmm. That's the that's so, video need to dive deep. Are the videos, are these like where they are explaining science concepts or are they more just like, uh, this is a weird, funny, weird, cool, whatever it is something that somebody put on YouTube. It's not like National Geographic or it's not, it's just a weird, funny video or not even funny, but like, you know, engaging, makes them curious, whatever, that kind of video. Yeah. So a lot of them are that kind of video. Even like when we were talking about like projectile motion and my favorite YouTube video is the dog can't catch food. Have you seen it? Retriever <laughs> no. and the owner throws crazy food to taco a strawberry, you know, Chinese noodles. And it basically, the dog cannot catch food. And so watch the dog, you know. And so even just to start talking about projectile motion. Interesting. Dog, you know, how did that owner throw it? Oh, underhand. And it went in this curved motion. Yeah. You know, so it's something silly like that, then you keep going back to. That's um, awesome. And, and kids spend so much time on YouTube, so it's automatically connecting to them. Exactly. Yes. And. And it also helps them look at the world differently. I mean, this is an owner throwing food at their dog. Yeah. That's science, you know? So it just True. makes them remember there's so much science everywhere. So so getting you used to saying that's science. I wonder about what's that science concept. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So and true. My, my ultimate favorite is It's Okay to Be Smart um, on, on YouTube from um, PBS. And it's just... He is just so great. I'm going to have to check this out. I don't think I've ever seen. It's my favorite because he's really funny. He has like, it's like a, you know, like good kid movies have the, the grown-up jokes in them. Yeah. Too. Oh, yes, yes. It's like that. He's just so clever and so smart. Um, and so a lot of times I'll use It's Okay to Be Smart as kind of a, not as like the initial thing, but as a companion to what I'm talking about. So yeah. To it because it's filled with those images. Yeah. That make the picture I'm talking about richer. Okay. I'm going to have to check this out. And I'll link to that in the show notes too. I'll find it. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, I I use videos in my classroom, but probably not to the extent that you do. And definitely not things like ramen noodles and, and weird things like that. So I love that idea. I'm going to have to check out some of these weird weird videos on YouTube. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Okay. Um, okay, and then my last question, what are some of your favorite ways to integrate science and engineering practices and the cross-cutting concepts? I always emphasize science and engineering practices because I think that is a starting point, but we always do need to remember that cross-cutting concepts are a part of, of um, you know, NGSS three dimensions anyway. So, so any ideas for teachers? Totally. I mean, you know, like I mentioned before that, that noodle lesson, you know, is, is asking questions. It's, that's like my, my number one. I think also because we did a lot of that ADI, you know, argument driven inquiry, um, that 
the engaging an argument from evidence. Mm -hmm. So I love CER for stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, just like write-ups for labs. And that's, that's one of my number one things is a CER and then Yes. So CER, just I'm sure most pretty much everybody knows, but claim evidence reasoning, those essays. Yeah, that format. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I'm super excited to um, be connecting with teachers like you. And I will link to your blog. You also have a Teachers Pay Teachers store. Um, Happy Teacher Heart. Do you like what kind of stuff you have in your store? What? Anything else you want to tell us about? Yeah, either of those. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I have, like, a CER, like, kind of a first CER lesson, like, how to teach CER. Okay. Justin Bieber. So, keeping it relevant. Nice. Uh, I have uh, some NGSS, like, phenomenon video guides. So oh, okay. You, where I I use those, um, it's okay to be smart, and NPR Skunk Fair. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I've seen those. YouTube. And then I basically just created a worksheet to keep the students engaged as they watch that and make them think as they watch the videos. Okay, yeah. awesome. So that would be uh, an awesome way if you're just starting in, like integrating those YouTube and you're like, well, what do I do with them? They can go to your store and check out some ideas. Yes. And I'm making more. I'm trying to keep them in bundles so you can buy them as a, you know, if your right. students are fully bundled for you, then it's kind of going to go along with the ones you're teaching. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was such a pleasure. Yes, thank you. And, um, yeah, that's all I got for you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you have any questions, you can pop, uh, pop them into the Facebook group. Uh, or you can connect directly with Sarah at her Instagram. Um, Sir, is it just at Happy Teacher Heart? Yeah. Perfect. So you can connect with her there. You can pop questions into our Facebook group, and I'll make sure Sarah gets to those as well. And uh, if you like our podcast, please leave a review. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.